now you can hear me. I'm sorry. The advanced directive was that that gets and I do get asked about that a, a lot. And I always have to tell people I'm not a lawyer and I didn't stay in Holiday Inn Express. But if I did, I would tell you this. There's there's two documents that go with the advanced directive, as, as I understand it. There's a living will and the durable power of attorney. The living will just contains um, um, instructions about future medical treatment in the event you're unable to communicate. Uh, if you go in for anything in the hospital now, like the first thing they ask you, do you have a living will? And it freaks some people out. Um, uh, I know when I had my stents and they asked me that, I thought, oh, I thought this doctor was good. And um, so a living will is for your own protection so that your family will know and the lawyer will talk about that. And then the durable power of attorney allows someone to make the medical decisions for you in case you can't. So like um, if something happens to Richard, I'm sure Melissa will have that ability to do that. And so it's just a good piece of paper to have, and they will ask you that in the hospital, those two questions, my, my experience. Then there's the one that um, is called assisted death. Uh, they used to call it physician-assisted suicide, but they changed it because um, families who had people and their family committed suicide were a little bit, I guess, offended by that because it's not really suicide. Um, it's, it's when you, as a patient, um, decides as a mentally competent, terminally ill patient, you request a prescription to end your life. It's only legal in two states in the, in the country. It's uh, Oregon and Washington. I've heard of stories of people flying to Oregon to do this. Uh, what I didn't know until today is that you have to do the needle yourself. The law in Oregon and Washington requires that the medication is self-administered. I, I didn't know that. That right there would stop it for me. Um, but I'm that that's the law, and I did not realize that. Um, so that's assisted death, and we are going to talk about about that on the ethical and the United Methodist understanding of that. Um, then there's euthanasia. Euthanasia uh, literally translates to a good death, and it refers to the act of painlessly but deliberately causing the death of another person. There's two types. There is um, active and there's passive. Active is the deliberate action of a medical professional or lay person to hasten a patient's death. Um, passive is due to actions not taken, um, actions that would normally keep a person alive. And we are going to talk about those two um, tonight. So I thought that was important. Along with that is um, life-sustaining treatment. Um, this is a treatment that if you stop doing it will result in death. Um, technological interventions like dialysis, ventilators. Uh, they also include things like feeding tubes and antibiotics. Um, and we will talk about that. And similar is withholding or withdrawing treatment. It means that you make the person 
generally that has a durable power of attorney makes a decision to end dialysis or to end um, any further ways to keep someone alive. Yes, sir. Yes, there's a medical and then there's a financial, and I'm assuming the lawyer is going to talk about both of those. Um, I have one, and do you know where it is, Jill? Okay, good. <laughs> she made sure when I went when she took me to the hospital. She also checked my life insurance. I was a little worried about that. Um, so I thought we would start with being United Methodist clergy, and uh, Richard and Eddie and Martha can tell you. My job as United Methodist clergy is to always tell you what the United Methodist Church stance is, first and foremost. If I give you my opinion, I have to say, this is what the United Methodist Church believes, but this is what I believe. Always stating first the United Methodist Church's position, which is in the Book of Discipline and the Book of Resolutions, which is approved and, and, and um amended every four years at General Conference, except this year, it'll be 2019, it'll be three years and then four. Uh, so I'm going to give you theirs, ours, as United Methodists, and I will preface it by saying it's exactly what I believe. I have no problems with this. So this is how I stand on assisted death and euthanasia. I want to begin by saying, um, in anything that I do concerning life, I always side on the sanctity of human life um, in all areas. That I'm not saying I'm pro-life, pro-choice. I'm not saying I'm pro or against capital punishment or pro or against war. Um, I am against murder. Uh, but I, I believe that the human life is sacred, which is also the beginning of the United Methodist stance and most of the denominational stances that I've read and studied on, um, on, on that issue of life. Um, so on assisted death and euthanasia, here's, my, here's the understanding. I think it begins with an understanding that death is never a sign that God has abandoned us. I, I think that's an important thing for us to, to hold on to. Uh, Richard, I know, can speak to Martha, Eddie, the clergy can speak. We have been in situations where that is the question. Why has God left me because my loved one is going to die or I am going to die? And we never start with that assumption. Our faith says that death is never a sign that God has abandoned us. We hold on to and you'll hear me say it a few times tonight, Romans 8, 38, 39. For I am convinced that nothing, not life or death, can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And, and that is the basis for what we believe. Um, what I love about the United Methodist stance, what it says is, care for a dying person is part of our stewardship of the divine gift of life when no cure is possible. Um, the, the gift of caring for someone who is terminally ill, if you approach it as a gift, it is a gift. I was sharing with Richard before that, um, and he's agreed, 
we have seen and experienced and been part of some beautiful deaths uh, in the way of it was a gift. It was a gift to me as clergy and a gift to the family. And when you look at it that way, it changes our understanding of death. Um, we do, as United Methodists and me, encourage the use of medical technology. I'm all about um, medical technologies to provide palliative care. Now, there's a difference. Palliative care is, Jill, you want to answer that? Is comfort care. Is keeping a patient comfortable when there's nothing left to do. Uh, Bill Curtis, who is one of our members, um, was in the palliative care floor of leukemia, MD Anderson. And they were there to keep him from hurting. And I am 100% for that. Um, and, and, and that is an important thing to understand. It is, palliative care is not keeping alive. Palliative care is keeping, keeping comfort. Okay? Um, and at that point, life is no longer the goal. The goal is dying with dignity and without pain. Okay? We think that's important. We think that's ethical. Now, at the same time, the question I'm asked in a situation when someone is on, what is it a question? Does somebody have, I'm sorry, yes, sir. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> Boom, right now. Um, there is no, in my opinion, and thank God the United Methodist Church opinion, there is no moral or religious obligation to do, impose any undue burdens or extend the process of dying. In other words, if you are in a situation as a family member where you have to make the decision to um, withhold treatment, to um, take someone off life support, it is we, I, um, the United Methodist Church, we believe that there is not a, it's not a sin. It is not wrong. But it is your decision. And it is your decision if your loved one had, and this is why this class is important. This is why these conversations are important. I have been with families where they did not know the wishes of their loved one at that moment, and they made guesses as to what that person might want. And it caused strife in the family because child said, no, dad wants to live. Mom said, no, I think he wouldn't want to live. And it has caused that. The question I always ask the doctor if I'm involved in that discussion is if this was your loved one, if this was your wife, your husband, your father, your mother, whatever, what decision would you make? And most doctors in that situation give you the honest answer. But as United Methodists and as people of faith, as I see it, it is not a sin. We have no obligation. We are not 
supposed to, I think, stop the process of dying. I think we do heroic measures to a point, and then each individual has to know when that point ends. Is that any questions on that? Did I answer it, Robert, or not? Yeah. Yeah. So Robert's saying, because we're being podcast, I think, so I want to repeat the question. Robert's saying that uh, he had a sister, had a stroke, recovered somewhat from the stroke, had a heart attack, right? Did I get in the right order? And um, the family made a decision when the doctor said that there was no brain activity to take his sister off life support. That, in our understanding and in my belief, is um, we're not under obligation to keep someone alive. Does that mean, does that make sense? Did I say that clear? Okay. Um, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the most DNRs, medical people in here can help me with this. Uh, most DNRs will will let the help allow the doctor to help make that decision whether or not um, D- DNRs that do not resuscitate or do not innovate DNR DNI um, make that decision of whether or not that would be prolonging life. Or, or prolonging the process of dying or saving a life. And, and once again, though, family decision. A- absolutely family decision. It can also be a hospital decision. Can it be a hospital decision? Okay. Okay. Yeah, so that that's where I'm a little, I, that I don't know. That's that's an area for someone else. Uh, I know the legality of a DNR, um, and it's really it was really unnerving for me when I went home this last time to see my stepdad because his DNR is right there on the magnet on the refrigerator, and I thought, you know, Warren, please <laughs> take it down, Jill. life-supporting care to be withheld, it simply prevents the healthcare team from doing uh, heroic measures, heroic right? measures. But, yeah. it, but if a patient is on some type of life, you know, if they're on, an, if they're in already intubated, a DNR does not unintubate them. Yeah, a DNR does not unintubate them, if that's a word. <laughs> but if my wife, who works for MD Anderson, says it's a word, yes, sir, Bill? What now? Romans 8, 38, 39. For I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, um, which has always been one of my top ones. Uh, but please understand, there is no, I do not believe there's a moral or religious obligation. Dying people and their families are free to discontinue treatments when they cease to be benefit to the patient. Do not think, please, that you are committing some sin because you make the decision that you're going to withhold medical support because you're no longer going to prolong the dying process. And I've had families struggle with that. 
and I'm sure Richard has. It does not make the decision any easier. What I pray for, just so you know, when a family does make that decision, my prayer is that that loved one will die relatively quickly so the family knows they made the right decision. I had one in Lake Jackson who lived for four days after they made the decision. It was pure hell on the family because they kept questioning, did we make the right decision? Did we make the right decision? And I had to keep telling them, you make the best decision you can with the information that you have, knowing your loved one. I do not know the loved one like you do. Okay? Okay. Um, we do, reason for this class, because United Methodist Church in the Book of Resolution makes this clear. We urge that everyone discusses with their family what your wishes are so there are no questions at that moment. Because the worst thing that can happen is when there's a difference of opinion among the family and it causes, or when you make the decision not really knowing and then you have to, then you beat yourself up with guilt. The reason why Richard thought this class was so important and it was very timely, Melissa, may I share this? When Melissa's father, mother, excuse me, was dying, um, her sister in North Carolina had just recently gone through this and it really made a difference. So, so after Melissa's mom passed away in this funeral, Richard and Melissa came and said, we want to do this because those discussions are important. And, and they, they, they are. I, um, my, I was so frustrated with my parents um, with my mom and stepdad because they never had the discussion, right? I mean, mom was sick for, Jill, three years, four years, uh, you know, and they had no arrangements, no discussion, nothing. And, and I kept asking my stepdad, did you make, did you, have you guys talked about this? Do you know what you're going to do? Yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do it. Well, when the, when, the, when the doctor said, look, there's nothing more we can do, I, well, okay, what's the plan? No one had made it. My sister, my brother, no one. So, you know, I'm making those arrangements from here to Florida, uh, trying to take care of all that stuff. And then the question became, um, well, does mom want to be cremated or burnt or, um, or, or buried? And, <laughs> and, and no one would make the decision, right? And so I said, finally, my sister, who acted like her mom, um, I finally asked Annie, I said, Aunt, what does she want? I mean, someone had to have that discussion some point as she was dying. Well, there was one point she wanted to be buried and then she wanted to be cremated and then she wanted to be, I said, fine, whatever. So what I did is I said, I, I, my mom's Italian and I didn't want to be cursed. So we had her cremated and then buried her. I just figured we <laughs> did both. And, um, and it just felt like the right decision at the time since no one discussed it. This is for that purpose, to discuss so that your kids don't have to guess, so your spouse knows, because if you don't discuss it, don't come back and haunt them. Um, we, as United Methodists, as do I, 
and this may be against what some people think. It's what I believe. I don't believe in euthanasia. I, I, I believe in withholding treatment, I, but I do not believe in any form of active euthanasia. I do not believe in patient or physician-assisted death or whatever you want. I don't, I don't, I just, I believe human life is sacred and the dying process is sacred. And I, I believe it's part of who we are and part of the dying and part of being human is the process of death for closure for family and for yourself. And, and there are people who disagree with me there's a website if you want to go to called Death with Dignity that absolutely disagrees with me on it. Um, if I had a loved one in that position, I might change it. I might change my position on it. But for me, on this side of the argument, that is how I feel. Um, it's what I believe. I believe in the sanctity of human life which is not the same as withholding and allowing the process of death and the process of life to take its natural course. Questions on that? Yes, sir. Um, Physician-assisted suicide, which doesn't really exist because they can't, um, would be, youth, they're basically the same. Um, euthanasia, it, it's, it's intentionally actively taking someone's life who's a medical. You can do it in Oregon, you can do it in Washington, but a doctor can't do it. So euthanasia is a synonym in Oregon and Washington. And that's how I understood it, yes sir. Okay. And I didn't know it was. Because it actually sounded illegal. It it's sounded like it's not illegal, it's illegal here in Texas. And um, if just so you know, if your loved one is in hospice care in the state of Texas at home and they pass away, you cannot touch anything until a sheriff and or a similar organization comes and pronounces the person dead. You can't touch the medicine. Nothing it is against the law. It is a, it's a, and I didn't know that's how I was in Bullard. And I had to sit there with the wife as the husband was on the floor and, and we waiting for the sheriff to come from somewhere. And it was, uh, it was brutal. And I asked the sheriff, what in the world? And he explained to me the law because it is against the law in the state of Texas to aid someone in their death. It would be disturbing the evidence, exactly. I mean, that's exactly it. Now, it's different if hospice is right there when it happens. There's different rules on that. They're not as strict because hospice was there. They know you didn't do it. But it is, it's, it's bad. But the medications are turned over to the law. There are certain of those medications that you have to return because um, I've taken them. We had someone pass away in our church or church family um, with leukemia. He passed away at home, I think. I can't remember. But all his medication was there. And um, the, the, 
the, the hospice took some of the heavy-duty type, there's a type 3, category 3, type 3 pain, and then the rest of it, Jill took to MD Anderson to dispose of it because there's laws on how you dispose of certain medications. So, Joran? Oh, that's new. I didn't know. I don't know that one. Do you know that one? Yes, ma'am. The United Methodist Church does not. The United Methodist Church does not believe in euthanasia, but it's it does believe in the withholding if it's going to just prolong a process that is coming. Does that make sense? But the United Methodist Church is very clear, uh, doctor-assisted, not doctor-assisted, active euthanasia. It is, it is not what we believe. Okay? What if I have a family member? If they don't agree with what, Reed? They don't see a problem with euthanasia. Well, they—they—they don't see. If, if, if the question is, what if you have a family member who disagrees with me on that? It, it, they can disagree with me. I can't actively perform euthanasia on them. It is against the law. I can't assist them. It is against the law. If I bring them the what is it? The potassium, whatever, whatever it is. If I bring that to them and they use it. I am accomplice in the state of Texas. So they can believe it. I can drive them to Oregon or Florida. I mean, to Washington. <laughs> I, and, and sure, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm confused on the question, I, Reed. I'm saying if they don't have a problem with the idea that you're saying the church says it's... The church will not, does not support active euthanasia or physician-assisted or self-assisted suicide death, however you want to call it. The church does not support that. Church does not say it is a sin. The church just does not support that. Okay? I, you know, so y- you can believe it and still be United Methodist, and I'll still do your funeral. <laughs> I'll charge you extra. Skip. Yes. Yes. And at five, there's not, but five can hasten death. Yeah. And I think on that one, what Skip's saying is some of the opiate, the the category three or type three, uh huh, schedule two, 
sorry, I can never remember. I just know you can't prescribe it. That's all I know. Um, um, some of the Schedule II drugs, the opiates do take away pain, but they can also hasten death. So the question is, how do you draw the line? If I give them five milligrams or whatever of it, that will take away all his pain, but it may also kill him. If I give him three, it may not take away his pain, correct? And I think on the palliative care side is it's doctor administered, and, and palliative care is to make comfortable. And I, I think um, my opinion is if it makes it comfortable and hastens death, the palliative care still is about making comfortable because I can't prove that that... Um, What is the motive? The, the motive is going to be to, to alleviate pain. Yep. Yep. It, well, and I think, I think the Methodist Church would agree with you on that, Skip. I think they would say if the motive is palliative care, which is to aid, to give comfort, and if that comfort hastens what is inevitable, they would not say that's active euthanasia. They're saying you are, you are, because we believe in palliative care and using all forms of providing palliative care at our disposal. That we believe in. Much more equipped. Okay. Yes. to get hospice and have insurance or Medicaid or Medicare, whatever, pay for it, the doctor has to write a prescription and says death is possible within the next six months. No, it's not. I mean, I don't, I don't, think, I, I don't think it is. I think, I think that was Skip's point. It, I think it was Skip's point. It goes to motive, and palliative care is comfort. So, um, United Methodist position on suicide. This is very personal for me. My best friend committed suicide, was Catholic, um, and could not have mass, a full mass at his funeral, um, because he committed suicide. Catholic Church and some others believe that is um, a mortal sin, and they're not saying it's purgatory or whatever. They say it's um, United Methodist Church does not believe that. I do not believe that. I get asked every time there's a suicide, and I have to be part of that. What will happen to my loved one? To which I always give the same answer. Here's what I know. I know that God has to have 
a special place for people who are hurting and people who are ill. And anyone who gets to the point of committing suicide, I believe is hurting and believe is, is ill and feels without options. And my God, my God, and the United Methodist stance will always bring that person in and bring that person home. That, that's what I believe. That's what I'll say. That is what I feel. And, and nothing will change that for me. Um, you'll hear stories of life after these, these life after death experiences. Um, if you study those, and I have, because I, th- I find them fascinating um, when they're real. Um, some of them I don't quite buy into, but that's just uh, my own thing. But you'll hear stories that the only negative experience is those people who attempt a suicide. Um, I, I, I'm not there. I mean, that's our stance. That's my belief. Um, that I think the worst part about suicide is that there was a person who is um, so mentally depressed, emotionally detached, or feeling so much without any other option, however they convince themselves, that that's the choice they made, and that the family then has the family and close friends then have to deal with that and play the would have, should have, could have game. And what I tell everyone who's ever playing the would have, could have, should have game, don't play it, you're always going to lose. You will always lose that game. I tell that to families who make the decision to um, withhold treatment, to, um, to take someone off life support. If you play the would have, could have, should have game, you're going to lose every single time. Okay, questions on that? All right, did anybody have time to fill out a card for questions? If so, Rich is going to collect them because I want to deal with that and then I want to go to a closing and we'll be right about on time, although I don't know what the time limit is. (laughs) So, because I want to deal with a couple of things. Thank you, Bill. Oh, really? What's it called? <laughs> Somewhere in the church library. Um, Martha, are you here? Is Martha Hansen here? There. If, 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 if you want a resource on grief and depression, there's your, there's your woman right there. Um, she can answer that, those um, from a stance that I can't. Um, and I think that goes along with suicide. Um, I, got, I get asked the question about explaining death to children. I always recommend, and there's some, there's some resources in your notebook. There's one in, that's not in there that I give away always. It, it's called, um, it's by Max Lucado. It's called In Case You Ever Wonder. It is a phenomenal book. Um, and it's a wonderful book to read to your kids even if they don't have questions about death, um, Connor and Zach got sick of it. I just <laughs> would read it to them, Dad, again, we know the story. It made me feel better. Um, 
and, and so, but the, there's another one on that list that I remember called Fall Afraid of the Leaf, and, um, which is a phenomenal book about, this, about how death is a natural part of the living. Fall, the Fre- Fall of Freddie the Leaf by Leo Biscaglia. Um, Leo Biscaglia is a good Italian um, who wrote Living, Loving, and Learning and the book Love. So. Okay, so I got a handful of questions. Uh, how does one reconcile a change in a dying loved one on the deathbed? Wishes for a burial or suddenly change to request for com- cremation. Um, you can do what I did. Um, play it safe. I think, I think what you have to decide, and, and this is where my sister was real confused, because mom kept changing in the midst of her dementia, and they didn't know when she was of sane mind what she wanted. Um, and so that's why it was hard. I think most of us, well, that's why the conversations are important. And I think if the person's on their deathbed and dementia or medication has set in to a point that uh, then, you, then you take that in consideration. Um, a lot of men change their mind, I've seen, because they start doing the math of how much more it costs to do a... a <laughs> no, that, I'm sure... Because remember, especially there's a generation or two of men who believe their sole responsibility is provider and to leave and they start doing the math as they get closer to death what what it costs burial as opposed to cremation and they change their mind. Uh, my, my view is if someone changes their mind, I think you have a conversation with them. If they're able to have that conversation, why did, why, why did you change? And then you honor their wish the best that you can. You honor it the best that you can. You know the person. You know, and you honor the best you can. Angela, is your hand up or not? Huh? Which one's cheaper? Cremation. A lot. A lot. A lot. And a lot cheaper. And, and this has to do with two weeks from now. If you do cremation, let me just say... And the church is involved. Tell the, the, the funeral home, all you need is direct cremation, nothing else. We'll handle everything else. We'll save you thousands of dollars. Um, how's it work when someone dies suddenly after calling all, how soon do we call the church? We'll deal with that question. How soon do you call the church? Um, if they die suddenly, I think it's like the second or third call you make. I think the first call is, is to a loved one and then the church and let us help you the rest of the way. Unfortunately, we've dealt with it. We know what to do. We know how to help you. You may not. We, I always feel bad for families who have no church home and then I get called in from Setaguest um, to do their funeral. And I fall in love with the family. And I hurt for them because we could have made the process so much easier for them. And so my advice is call who you need to call 
call us. Um, I would call us before the funeral home and we'll be there to help you deal with all the decisions you have to make. Do not, I never let a family, never let a family that I know of go to a funeral home without me there. Never that I know of will I let a family go to a funeral home without me there. And I'm sure Richard's the same, Eddie's the same, I know Martha's the same. It's, we understand because we have sat through that table more times than we can imagine. Robert? Do I? We do them, and then the VFW funeral home will handle, and we'll talk about this too, funeral home will handle calling um, VFW or whomever to do, the, to do the military burial, if that's what's desired. Oh, I, yeah. At National Cemetery? Oh, yeah. I would say I love going to the National Cemetery, but that sounds odd. But I love going to the National Cemetery because something about walking on the National Cemetery, you know you're on holy ground. It's just something about it. Um, do we have funeral celebrants or pastors? I don't know. Um, in the Catholic Church, they would call celebrants. Or is that celibate? Celebrants. <laughs> Um, I just learned what a funeral celebrant was, and, and I kid you not, I was at Sedegas, and I met a funeral celebrant. They're employed by um, the funeral home corporation to do funerals when there's no minister to do them. And that's a, the lady introduced, I'm the funeral celebrant, and I just bit my tongue. There were a lot of things I wanted to say, but what I, real, what I found out, they are not pastors. They are not ordained. They are trained by the company who owns a funeral home in how to conduct a funeral. Well, I don't know what that means then. You have me. You have me, Richard, Eddie. You have pastors. We handle that. But I did. I never heard of one. And I asked her what church she was from. Well, I'm not ordained. And then I thought, that would be a gig. <laughs> when you die, do you go directly to be with God? Um, a few years ago, when I was Catholic, I would have said no. I happen to believe you do. And I probably always did. I just didn't understand it. I believe in Paul. It's one of the only things I agree that Paul wrote. Um, thank you, Richard, uh, is that we are changed in a twinkling of an eye. And then you've got to go to the psalm. Uh, a thousand years is like a day. So I don't know what that means. I don't think there's a waiting period. I don't think there's a holding room. Um, I think that would be hell to have to wait. And maybe that is hell. I don't know. Um, but when I die, if I'm not there, I'm... I'm going to be one impatient dead person. <laughs> Is there anything in the Bible about cremation? No. But I was going to deal with this next uh, mine. I'll deal with it now. Uh, that's the big question. There are denominations who do not believe cremation. Um, and I've asked, and, and show me, please. And the closest they come is um, on the last day, the bodies will rise out of the grave. And 
Well, here's my problem with that. You've got a bunch of people 9-11 who were ashes. You have the space, the challenger, were, weren't even ashes. You have people who buried at sea who are not going to come up out of the grave. So I don't think you can take one passage that small and say, well, you, go, you get cremated, you're going to hell. You're not going to rise. United Methodist Church says cremation's fine. It's my belief, United Methodist Church belief, someone would have to show me more than on the last day, Bible rise. If God can rise, raise me, he can, he can put me back together however he wants. And just remember, as Richard likes to say, give your verse, Richard, about what Paul says, the physical. You, you had this conversation. Richard and I had this conversation last week because we knew that question would come up. And Richard's answer is the best. You forgot it. I forgot it. <laughs> it's a really good answer. He'll remember it. You don't remember? It was like brilliant. You quoted Paul. It was really good. And it wasn't the one I would quote. One I would quote is this perishable I must become imperishable. And this mortal body must become immortal, but you quoted one better. Well, my mind was stuck on kind of a theological response, which is Paul talks about <clears throat> the physical body, and he talks about soma, which is the spiritual body. There you body, go. That's the one. And that, and that the, 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 the soma, the spiritual body, is what is resurrected or is go. what goes to be with God. And, uh, and it's not about the physical body. Uh, the, the, the physical body, and I, this is what I believe, is, is the, the home for our spiritual body. And when that home has done its job and has finished its work, then the spiritual body is released from that, that vessel. And, uh, and that goes on to be with God. Yep. So that was the answer you gave the other day, yeah. and I loved that. And I'm going to steal it now that I can remember it. Um, because it really... It makes perfect sense when he says it. Tony? I know. Dust to dust, earth to earth. What about the resurrected body? You're a preacher. Get up, preach it, baby. <laughs> Pretend it's Easter. What now? What's your question? What about the resurrected body? Here's what I know. Here's what I know. It's two things. There is a God. It is not me. So my answer may not be God's answer. My answer is we are, there's a resurrected body that is somehow, some way, different than ours. There's a question here. When children die, when they pass away, do they grow old in heaven? I don't think it's that. I think there is a body we are given which is new, which is you know, it's, it's different. But yet, in a, some way, there's some similarity because people recognize Jesus, but yet he could walk through a wall. And, and so they're, they're, but yet they didn't recognize Jesus until he spoke. So there's this thing. There is a body we are given in resurrection, and that's where I quote Paul. This imperishable body must, this perishable body must become imperishable, and this mortal body must become immortal, it changes in a way that I can't explain. 
and I don't understand. It is deeper than me, and it is a mystery of the faith, and it's a mystery that I embrace because I don't know that answer. Yes, ma'am. Organ donation is often, a, it better be, it's on my driver's license. I, I think organ donation, if you're able, is, is the greatest gift you can give. I have met too many people who are alive today because of an organ donation. I met too many people, which is why I didn't even hesitate. Um, and donating your body medical science, same thing. Um, I do warn you, um, I did not know this. And I had a widow who freaked out because she didn't know it. Um, she donated her, her, her husband donated his body to um, UTMB. And about four months later, they delivered the remains. And she didn't know. She goes to the door and, here, and she lost it. The cremains. The cremains. Not the remains. The cremains. And, well, because she, was, she, she then didn't know what to do. Marty, I got Fred back, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> and I had to, I had to, I, this is when I was in Beaumont. I had to call UTMB and ask them, is this like normal? Is this what you guys do? Did you make a paperwork error? And it's what they do. So I now warn every family, if you don't, if, be ready. He's coming back. <laughs> um... I answered the children passed away. Burial versus cremation. I really want to save this for two weeks. Whoever, who, who will need to know our wishes? That's what this class is about. That's what that notebook's about. Um, in, in, in my living will and my paperwork and that whole thing I have, there's instructions on what I want Jill to do. And I, I want to be cremated. Yeah, I want, I want to be cremated. It's, I just, and yeah, and I want to be sprinkled at City Field. <laughs> it, the, see, here's where people I think get confused. Uh, the question is, when you go to heaven and the time lapse and all of that. See, here's the thing. God does not operate in our dimension, or he's not tied to our dimension. So he's not tied to our 24 hours and 365 days. He, he like, is ab above that. And so, sir, I would like, that's the word I was looking for, and it just didn't come out, so I went to above that. And, and, and it's an impossible thing to grasp, which is why, I'm half joking when I say there is a God and I'm not him. It's my way of saying I don't know the answer. Because there is a, my, there's one theologian um, who I disagree with everything he said, except for one thing. His name is Paul Tillich. I, I think Tillich was a little crazy, but that's me, except for this. He said the minute our finite minds start talking about God, we have already ruined it because we cannot grasp God. And we've limited him, and we've made him one of us, and he's not. And so this, this, this idea of time and how long, and, and it, 
when, when I preach a funeral sermon, even though I've gotten lectures from other denominations in the room, I think when, when Richard breathed his last here on earth, he was mysteriously and gracefully transported in ways I cannot explain to those gates, however you imagine them. And there he met his God and he heard the words we all long to hear, entering good and faithful servant. And that's what I know and that's what I believe and I've had people come up after a funeral and say, it's not instant, there are <laughs> raptures. And I said, this is what I know, this is what I believe. So, so can we hold this one? Does anybody mind if we hold the wishes until next time? And then the, if assisted death is not legal here, what about euthanasia? Passive euthanasia is um, in the definition is allowed because it's basically withholding. Active euthanasia is not allowed in um, this state and at this point is only allowed in two states and there's a lot of court cases still pending about that, okay? All right, I want to close with this um, because this is, th these are things I put together. I made them up um, and they may be wrong, but some of it are things I wish I would have been able to um, deal with my mom. It's saying goodbye. How to say goodbye to someone who is dying. I came up with six things. Martha, you can help me. There's probably more. Um, one, don't wait until the last minute. Um, it's hard to say goodbye, but putting off meaningful conversations is perhaps the number one source of regret. Dying, this is my Dying people have the uncanny ability to choose the moment of death, okay? My sto favorite story in that is I had in my church in Bullard, I had a um, retired Disciples of Christ pastor, Rollins Cherry Holmes, who was dying. He was at um, the hospital in Tyler, Mother Francis, and he was supposed to be dead. His son was in England getting back home. Rollins would not die. His son walked in the room. His wife, Rollins' wife, and I walked out of the room. We were out in the hall for about 15 minutes, and Rollins got us back in, and Rollins said this to me, Marty, take Billy and Charlotte down to them, get them a cup of coffee. We got to the bottom floor, and he had died. I will never be convinced, and no one will ever convince me that he didn't choose that moment to die. I have seen, and it's more, I'm sorry, it's more men. Men will not die in front of their children if they can help it. I've, I've never seen a man who could control, who, who had the, when their children, then they just, men, it's their job to take care of. It's just, you know, it, um, so here's what I think you say. The four things that matter most. I learned this in seminary in my pastoral care class. I learned two things in that pastoral care class. One was refer and then this. Four things that you say. Please forgive me. I forgive you.
Thank you. I love you. That's your goodbye. And don't wait till last minute. Two, it's okay to let on that you know that person is dying. I have been in the room where family members, they don't want to talk about the person dying with them there. They know. They know, and it helps them to know that you know. Because when you pretend that you don't know, it adds stress to them because then they have to start thinking about you rather than themselves. Right? Um, I had a church member in, uh, in, in Tyler area. Uh, they were with their mom, right? And, and, the, and my mom did the same thing, but different. There's, there's, uh, she kept talking about wanting to get on the plane and to go somewhere. And we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go. And, and the daughter, bless her heart, kept telling, mom, we're not going anywhere. We're right here, mom, we're not going. Trying to convince her that, right? And, and what they should have said is, hey, mom, have a really good trip. And her argument, the daughter's statement was, I know it was the dementia, I know it was the medicine, I know, and I think it wasn't. See, I believe, my mom, months before she passed away, had conversations with her dad, and she was a daddy's girl. And she had conversations, and, and my sister was, oh, he's not there. I said, mom, what, did, did, you, did you talk to Pop today when I called her? Because, you know, I... I just think this is what God does. I, I just believe that. I will always believe it. It's okay to let the other person know they're dying. Don't argue with them. <laughs> um, and that's the next one. Follow the dying person's lead. If the person is talking about their death, please, whether it's directly or indirectly, please do not correct the person and say, no, you're not dying. You've seen it? Let them, it's just, it's like trying to argue with a woman. Read, it'd be like trying to argue with your wife that she's not in labor, right? When she's in labor. No, you're really not in labor. You're gonna, they know. Talk to them about it. It can be really a beautiful conversation. I mean, one of the best conversations I had with my stepdad was last time I was home. And we talked about him dying and what he thinks happens and, and all. And it was, it was really a neat conversation. I don't have to have it with him again. Next time I go see him, I'm going to say, hey, remember that talk? Because we had it. And it's okay. Um, the best thing to do is tell him they've done a good job. You're going to be okay. You know, especially, especially moms. Moms want to know that when they go, their kids are going to be okay. It's that mother bear coming out, okay? Um, fourth, Martha, don't listen to this one. <laughs> Truth is good, but sometimes so is a little white lie. Um, sometimes it's just nicer to tell the person. Okay, if you have a, a sister that's a pain in your butt, and your mom says, would you just make up with your sister before I die? Or after, when I go, just, sure, mom. 
they, they want to know that everything's going to be okay. People want to know that the people they love about, or they love, are going to be okay. I was in with one hospice lady, and she was with, it was a family, and the hospice worker, she was, she was beautiful. She just, I learned so much from her. It was early in my career, and it went something like this. She told, she told the wife, tell your husband it's okay to let go, right? right? And the wife just freaked and said, I can't. It's not okay. I don't want him to go. And, and so this hospice saint said something like, well, you can tell them something else. You can say something like, you look tired, sweetheart. Please don't worry about me. You've been such a good fighter, and it looks like you need a rest, and that's okay. Um, and this was my favorite. She said, just say something like, I understand what's happening, and it makes me sad, but I'll be all right. Someone can then let go. And so sometimes a little white lie is okay. This is what I tell families all the time. Keep talking even if you're not sure you're being heard. Hearing is the last sense to go. They tell you he's in a coma and they can't hear you. Don't believe them. I've watched, um, we had a church member here who um, they had made the decision to um, withdraw life support. And I watched her blood pressure go up when the daughter walked in the room and said her name. I mean, you could watch it on a little monitor. They, I, I believe people hear you. Um, so just whatever. If, they think they're un, if you think they're unresponsive, I still believe they hear. So, and then my favorite that I said, and this is what I, my biggest regret for not being in Florida. You can speak volumes without uttering a word. You don't have to say anything. You just hold a hand or give a foot massage or just look them in the eye. You don't have to say a thing. I think that's healthy ways to say goodbye. Leave anything out, Martha? Okay. Um, one more thing, then we'll, we'll, I'll turn it over to Richard. Um, I had a staff person at my previous church who had breast cancer. She, she didn't die, um, but she used to say, and I never understood it, and it finally hit me after I moved here and left that church. She used to tell me all the time, Marty, if something happens to me while you're here, never say that I lost my battle to cancer Never even say that I had a battle with cancer. She said, it's not a battle. Cancer's death is not my enemy. I thought, well, yeah, it is. Here's what happens. We use language of like a gladiator combat is how I wrote it. Um, in so, and as Christians... Death is sad. We, we will miss the person. But death is part of what it means to be human. And I believe that death is a spiritual gift 
and it's part of discipleship. Um, it's part of what it means to be faithful. And death is, is difficult for us, but I'd much rather hear someone say, when they find out they have a terminal illness, I'd much rather hear someone say, I sure will be living differently now. I'm preparing to make adjustments and feel content to become accustomed to a new way of life. It takes the enemy away. Um, So I learned part of that from Lisa. And I learned the other from a book called, if you... Um, it's a phenomenal book. It's called The Last Lecture. Have you heard it? If you have not read the book, go, The Last Lecture, I can't remember the author. He's a professor. And he, huh? I think that's it, Randy Polson. He, he found out he has pancreatic cancer. And the tradition at the school, the university that he taught, is a leaving professor got to give a last lecture. And they let him do that. And this was his last lecture. And the reason why he did it was for his kids. So they would have that. He had had young children. He was a young man. And um, his attitude is death was not the enemy. It just came soon for him, but it was not the enemy. Um, I took three of my favorite classes in undergrad outside of my major were um, death and dying, killing people, killing time, taught by Dr. Wyatt Wyatt. I've always figured there's no way his parents really named him that. (laughs) But I think he was at Woodstock, and he had a ponytail, and um, (laughs) and I'm sure uh, he was an author, and it was one of those liberal arts classes, and a bunch of us took it because we thought the title was cool, and we knew there'd be good-looking girls in there, so we took it. But it was a great class. And he started the death and dying class by saying, um, we're all born dying. Get used to it. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And I think as people of faith, when we accept that as fact and who we are, then we don't get cheated out of living. Um, and I think that's what Jesus would, would say. And that's kind of where I am. And um, Richard, I'm going to turn it over to you. I think I went, did I go over? Am I still good? We're good. Okay, good. Before I forget, I want to thank the Kairos class for providing us the pizza tonight. Uh, our, our, Our Sunday school classes are just awesome. They've Offer to do the meals for the this series, the Pathfinders next week, generations the following on the 17th Covenant class and on the 24th Open Hearts. And I, I really appreciate those classes stepping forward. It makes this possible to, to be, we, we, we're breaking bread together in, in multiple levels the, for the physical body and for the spiritual body. And, and I appreciate that. One, one observation that I would make is it's not possible to talk about this subject without it becoming very personal, without, us, without relating to our, our own mortality and without relating to the death of persons that we have loved and have gone on to be with the Lord. And so it touches deep emotions inside us, and that's a, a very powerful experience. Uh, 
And that, I think that's one of the reasons why we avoid the topic is because we don't want to uh, have to deal with those emotions that come with it. Um, but, but at the same time, uh, the, the wisdom of that uh, death is not an enemy. Death is a part of life. And as you come to terms with death, it frees you for the living of life. Uh, that's a, my paraphrase of what Marty just said. It's, it's really on target at what I hope we'll get in this journey together. Um, one of the things I've noticed is that there are some of you who are here as families. I, I really, that, I love that. That is a symbol for all of us, that this is something that is a conversation we hope starts here but does it finish here? Uh, we learn from the dying. Uh, many of y'all remember John Pearson. Did he have a sense of humor or what? And uh, John Pearson um, got cancer not long after I got here. He, uh, he, he joined the church, and, and I walked that journey with him. And early on, he said to me that... Uh, that uh, the gift that cancer gave him was he knew he was going to die and it gave him the chance to work on his goodbyes. And, uh, and I, 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 never, I never forget that. And so I, uh, life is a process of saying goodbyes. And if we run away from those, we have lost the opportunity to prepare ourselves for the major goodbye that, that we come to. Uh, I thank you, Marty, for um, what you shared with us tonight, for sharing from your heart. And, and I'll close with this, with this word. It's a little more clarification on the genesis of this. Um, Melissa and I were in New Braunfels uh, when the decision were made for hospice care. Uh, her sister Shelly was uh, in her home in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, her other sister Kimberly was there with us, and we were talking on the phone and so on and so forth. And um, and that afternoon, that that this was these decisions were being made. Shelly had been to the second of their sessions, which was the session where the physician to talk about palliative care was talking about. Uh, the, the body and what happens and, and in a natural process of death and the things that you, you can know that helps you understand what is helpful and what is hurtful, what can ease and what can cause pain. And, uh, and that knowledge that she got there was incredibly helpful to those three girls over the next two weeks uh, as... Uh, as uh, Patsy went through the process of letting go. And, uh, and I, th I thought, what a gift through, through Shelley to us. And I coveted that gift uh, for you, each of you. And I hope that you'll resolve to come back for each of the sessions because each one, it's like we have a big pie and there's, there's five different slices to the pie and together they'll make the whole pie. So, uh, God bless you, uh, God bless your families, uh, God bless your loved ones, and God bless your conversation as you go forth into the evening. Amen. Thank you.